Welcome to Military Network Radio, where we'll bring dynamic interviews and fresh information about topics affecting your quality of life at each stage of your military service. Join us each week for information of value that improves your outlook, actions, and encourages each member of the family. Serving the military, their families, and those who care about them. Everyone serves, and together we make a difference. And now, here's your host, Linda Crater. Welcome. I'm Linda Crater, and you're listening to Military Network Radio. We're so glad you've joined us today. We are going to talk about PTSD is in my office, which is a topic that many don't fully consider. We will be taking a 360-degree view of this topic from both the veteran and employer perspectives. My co-host today is Justin Constantine, a Marine Corps vet who's well-known to the veteran community for his incredible journey through injury and adversity, and also emerging on the other side with a fervor for helping military and veteran families. One of Justin's key areas of expertise lies in veteran employment, which is why we've asked Justin to co-host today. Welcome, Justin. Hi, Linda. Thanks for having me. Oh, it's always a pleasure. And I would love to introduce our guest, Dr. Harry Croft. Harry and I became acquainted Oh, I think it's two years ago now, Harry. Longer than that. Longer than that. All right. So time flies when we have fun. Um, Harry was giving and is still remaining giving wonderful speeches and educational sessions to corporations as well as medical professionals about PTSD and demystifying it, but also dealing with it very realistically. So when we come to be talking about PTSD in the workplace and veterans of value but having difficulty managing, Harry is the first person that came to mind. And we are so glad to have you with us today. Good morning, Harry. My pleasure. Thanks for having me, too. Well, it's always a pleasure to have you on because I think we could talk for hours and hours, but maybe you could just begin with a bit of your experience in coming to understand that through your um, evaluating, that's the word I was seeking, evaluating uh, over 7,000 veterans returning from combat uh, and or service and realizing that the impact of PTSD, which is something you do specialize in, especially combat PTSD, that there really are ways to manage better in the workplace and to educate both our medical professionals in the community and our corporations. So can you give us a background on how you came to this topic and have become such an expert in it? Sure. I, I am a psychiatrist uh, and an addiction specialist. I uh, have practiced in San Antonio, Texas for some 40 years, uh, and I got to San Antonio in 1973, towards the end of Vietnam, uh, as a psychiatrist and was in the Army and in charge of the drug and alcohol program at Fort Sam. Uh This happened to be Nixon's showcase program to the world, and uh, tragically, we never had an empty bed oh. uh, from 73 to 76. Uh, all of the folks we saw were returning military members uh, from Vietnam and all had what we would now call PTSD, mm-hmm. uh, a condition that had no name in 1973. 
Uh, and, and more important than not having a name, it got its name in 1980, more important than not having a name, we had no clue how to help these poor folks. Mm-hmm. And so I told them the things I was told to tell them, like stop drinking so much, stop smoking so much dope, uh, stop being angry all the time, get some friends, uh, get a family, uh, get a grip, get a life. Now, I knew that wasn't the right thing, but that's all we knew back then. But that's where my interest in PTSD started. Fast forward to about 20 years ago, I was asked by a company that uh, does disability evaluations for veterans. Um, I'm not uh, through the VA, but I work as a contractor for this company. And they asked if I would be interested in seeing veterans with PTSD and later with TBI, and I said, sure. I started seeing them, and as you mentioned, I've now seen over 7,000 of these vets. And uh, because of my interest, which had started years before, I actually listened to the vets more than I needed to just to fill out the disability forms because for many of them, it was the first time they had ever talked to anyone about their condition. And what occurred to me was they had had no clue why they did the things they did. They Mm -hmm. just did them. And the reason turns out to be because of their PTSD. Out of that, I wrote a little manuscript just to try to help them understand what they were going through. And the feedback was tremendous. The things like, how did you know me so well? Mm-hmm. I explained to them I didn't know them at all before I saw them, uh, and certainly not when I wrote the manuscript, but I do know about PTSD. Out of that came the book. I always sit with my back to the wall, Justin, I'm sure, will understand that title. Uh, mm-hmm. And when we did the national book signing tour, I got the questions I anticipated. You know, what is PTSD? Uh, uh, what do you? What are the symptoms? What do you do about it? How do you treat it? What does a family member do, et cetera? I expected all those questions, but I started getting, especially in the big cities—New York, L.A., uh, Dallas, Chicago—I started getting questions about workplace. And frankly, they, the questions surprised me. HR professionals from Fortune 500 companies. Ask questions like, do we really want to hire these vets? Oh, boy. Why wouldn't you? And they said, well, you know, we worry that at best uh, they may be difficult in the workplace. And at worst, maybe they'll be dangerous in the workplace. And that's when I got the idea to, to help educate businesses about PTSD, because as we'll talk about in a few minutes, PTSD is the big elephant in the room. Right. Thing that's never spoken about or only rarely spoken about by HR and business folks, management, but is is worried about more than most people realize and, and often keeps appropriate vets from getting hired in the workplace. So that's where it all started. And uh, now I make it part of my life's work to educate businesses, 
uh, HR professionals, management folks, as well as veteran groups about what is PTSD, how does it enter the workplace, and I love your title for it uh, for, for today's show, uh, <laughs> and, and what can we do about it so that hopefully we can remove the stigma about PTSD from uh, HR folks and businesses and enable more appropriate veterans to get hired for work, but not only get hired, but also to succeed. Right. You know, I, I'm struck, Harry, by the fact that you said this one thing that seems so logical, but is really not done. And you said you listened to the vets. Yep. I think so often we are familiar with people telling vets how they're supposed to feel, how they're supposed to act, etc. You listen to them, realize their vulnerabilities, and then came up with ways to help educate the workplace around them. Justin, I'd love your take as well, because you do work with a lot of corporations and working closely with them, you also know that there is some reticence in some cases to hiring vets, as well as the value is known. They're just a little cautious. So what have you found? Does it jive with what Harry is talking about as well? Well, it does. And unfortunately, American society as a whole and, and the military is just a microcosm of that. We don't, we're not comfortable talking about behavioral health issues. Mm-hmm. And, you know, we've all seen it. I mean, certainly no one in the military has been encouraged. Uh, well, they've been encouraged to raise their hand and identify their issues on a, at a high leadership level. But I've seen when it gets down to the lower levels, the, uh, maybe the platoon leader or squad leader level, it's a whole different story. So I think that folks who have come and see Harry and talk to him, the service members and the veterans, I think it's fantastic, and they're displaying great strength and courage when they do so. Uh, and, and I know in my case, it was hard for me to wrap my head around the fact that I have PTSD, but my wife was very supportive, and others were too. Not everyone has that supportive environment, and so I think we have, as a the military in general, could really lead from the front in a national effort to normalize and reduce the stigma around PTSD and, and make sure everyone feels it's okay. Just like we go seek help for any physical injuries, there's no difference when it comes to behavioral health, and we should be combating that as much as we can and as freely as we can. Let me let me tell you, that's exactly correct, Justin. Let, let me give you a statistic that I think uh, I found fascinating. So they did a survey a number of years ago. This was published in the L.A. Times. They did a survey of HR personnel from big companies. And they said, would you have any hesitancy in hiring a veteran with a physical disability? 22%, one out of five, said, yeah, I might. They then asked the same group, would you have any hesitancy about hiring a veteran with PTSD, and that number jumped from 22% to close to 50%. Uh. So, so there is this stigma, Justin, just as you mentioned. And, and here's part of the problem. By law, unless a veteran says, I, I have a, a PTSD and I want an accommodation for it, unless they ask for that, then you're not allowed to ask do you have PTSD? 
So in the absence of being allowed to ask and knowing, many HR people just make the assumption that anybody who's ever been to combat has PTSD. Yeah. The reality is only one in five. Right. You know, let's hold that thought and come back to that after the break, as we will be coming in very soon. You're listening to Military Network Radio. I'm Linda Crater with co-host Justin Constantine and our guest, Dr. Harry Croft. We'll be right back. We're Military Network Radio, and we'll be right back after these short messages. Network presents the Diva Download with Tracy and Tasha. If you think Diva is all about attitude and drama, think again. The Diva Download is the premier online radio program where girls of all ages, shapes, sizes, and colors get together to redefine what it means to be a diva so that all girls can discover their inner diva and develop a healthy sense of self-worth and self-esteem. Being a true diva means you're diverse. Involved, value-driven, and active. That's today's diva. If you want to celebrate the girl in your life through education, encouragement, empowerment, and entertainment, join us every week on Tuesdays from 6 to 7 p.m. Central Standard Time and celebrate the essence of being a girl only here on the WooHoo Radio Network. In today's business world, a helping hand or idea that doesn't come with an invoice is a treasured find. And if that happens to you, then you need to pay it forward to keep other entrepreneurs from making mistakes or getting a raw deal. It's called Paying It Forward with Josephine Girasi. Wednesday mornings at 10, 9 a.m. Central, Josephine is going to have the guests describe their accomplishments, the lessons they've learned, both good and bad, and then sharing those pieces of knowledge as we create a movement of Paying It Forward. For more information about Josephine, her business, and background, you can go to MyMomKnowsBest.com. Josephine Girasi has always been a problem solver. She saw this need and has turned it into a movement. It's Paying It Forward with tips, tools, and advice, and hard lessons learned. These pieces of knowledge can make a huge difference for you, your business, and others. So join us for Paying It Forward with Josephine Girasi, Wednesday mornings at 10 a.m., 9 a.m. Central on Doginet.com. Welcome back to Military Network Radio, serving the military, their families, and those who care about them. Together, we make a difference. Welcome back. I'm Linda Crater with co-host Justin Constantine and our special guest, Dr. Harry Croft. Justin, you have a question for Dr. Croft. Yeah, I sure do. Thanks, Linda. Harry, we were just talking about PTSD. We started talking about PTSD in the workplace, but I realized we haven't even discussed what is PTSD, what are some common symptoms, and how can people recognize they have it or that others around them may have it? Great question, Justin. So uh, let me demystify it. PTSD, and, and by the way, I understand the concerns of some, including President Bush, uh, that we should call it PTS, not PTSD. Mm-hmm. And frankly, I don't much care what we call it. As long as we understand it and we get it treated, there's some practical issues 
for adding the D for disorder, and we can talk about those later if you're interested. But when people go through life-threatening trauma or psychologically severe psychologically threatening trauma, like sexual abuse or rape, when they go through severe life-threatening trauma, there is a built-in hardwired uh, facility in our brains to help us cope with that. And, and that produces the symptoms of acute stress. Our eyes dilate, our heart races so we can get more blood to our heart. Uh, the skin gets cold and clammy because the blood goes from the muscles uh, to, to the heart so it can pump faster and so forth. This is what happens during acute stress. And then normally what happens is we relax when the stress is over. Now, what happens in life-threatening stress, like uh, you see in combat, is it triggers some responses in the brain that turn that normal process into an abnormal one that mm -hmm. gets prolonged, prolonged, and, and messed up so that it continues to happen even where no threat exists now. We go back into that. And, and it involves four clusters of symptoms. So we have to have a life-threatening stress, number one. And then it involves four clusters of symptoms. The first is called unwanting, unwanted recalling. And that might be in the form of thoughts that, about the trauma that pop into our heads when we don't want them and, and are not looking to think about it. It could be nightmares which are far more real than most people imagined. Mm -hmm. It could be nightmare-like things that occur during the day, things we call flashbacks, which are like nightmares when you're wide awake. It's more than recalling, it's reliving it. And then there can be trigger triggers that cause us to think about the traumatic experience, things like sight, sound, smells, and so forth. So number one cluster is unwanted recalling. Number two is called purposeful avoidance. That's where we consciously avoid things that may remind us of the trauma. That we may avoid situations, we may avoid talking about it, we may avoid watching the news, we may avoid people talking to us about it. Number three cluster is called negative thoughts and emotions. And the most common in my experience is something called detachment where people withdraw from other people. They become distant, if you will. They're here, but they're really not here. They don't trust as much. Often they may feel guilty. Often they may feel that, that they can't enjoy life the way they used to. And then the fourth cluster of symptoms is called increased arousal. And that's what we normally think of as PTSD, being easily startled by loud noises, falling to the ground, maybe hitting. Uh, number two is being hypervigilant, uh, always sitting with our back to the wall. That's why we named our book that. We don't want anybody behind us. We want to be able to see everything that's going on out in front of us. And at night, we may check the house over and over and over again. Uh, and then there's irritability and agitation and frustration. Now, you notice what I didn't include there, and that's violence. Mm -hmm. Violence is very rare. Now, it can occur, but it usually, tragically, 
occurs within domestic situation with one's family and not in the workplace. So those are the four clusters of symptoms. That is, uh, you have to be exposed to a, a life-threatening trauma. You can then have symptoms of increased uh, uh, of unwanted recall, of avoidance, of negative thoughts and emotions, and increased arousal. And if you have those kind of symptoms for more than a month, and they begin to cause either distress in your life or impair your ability to function, we call that post-traumatic stress disorder. So those are the symptoms of it. And, and Justin, perhaps we can talk uh, uh, later about what do you do about it, because there are good treatments for PTSD, and people need treatment for PTSD. I, I, I couldn't agree more, Harry. Thank you. And, and I do, uh, as I get farther in the show, I would like to talk about treatment because that's a critical part of this conversation and certainly was a big part of my recovery. But while we're talking about PTSD um, in, in the workplace, I want to I get your thoughts uh, on when you mentioned that uh, being exposed to trauma, life-threatening trauma. You didn't say it's veterans who are exposed to this. So isn't it true that, in fact, PTSD exists to a, great, a far greater extent in the civilian sector than just in the military? Yeah, you're, you're exactly right. So PTSD is PTSD, regardless of what the trauma may be. Uh, so the studies show 20% uh, people coming back from the combat zone, 20% of veterans may suffer from PTSD. Remember, only 1% of the population gets in the military. Uh, in terms of the civilian population, we call them generally single incident traumas. It could be a rape. It could be uh, a life-threatening assault or robbery. It could be an automobile accident, hurricane, fire, or flood. And those things can cause PTSD in the civilian population as well. And if you look at the studies, about 7%, one out of about 14 civilians, may well suffer from PTSD. The most common is childhood abuse, by the way, as a cause. So chances are you already know a lot of people in your community, and by the way, in your workplace, mm -hmm. that have PTSD. They just don't identify themselves, and because they've been in the military, you may not even think about it as being PTSD. Now, having said that, Justin, there is one difference, I think, between combat-caused PTSD and single-incident-caused PTSD, and that is in the combat zone, it's not just the direct combat or the blasts that go off. It, it's it's a day-to-day -day fear about what might happen today or tonight, or uh, so it, it's it's much more intense, I believe, in combat veterans. But you're exactly right; it occurs in seven percent of, of civilians. And by the way, PTSD is not all or none. It's not like pregnancy; you are, you're not. It, it comes in various forms. <laughs> all the way from very mild to very severe and everything in between. And when most people think about PTSD, especially in the workplace, all they think about is the very severe. Right. 
but it also comes in very mild, and you're probably sitting next to somebody in the workplace, those of you who are listening, that may suffer from PTSD from one cause or another. Well, yeah, I, I think that's a good point. You mentioned the difference between combat um, experience, because you're right. The, every day that you're over there, you are on point. You are uh, mentally super focused and vigilant and worried about your safety, which is you can't really replicate anywhere else, fortunately. Um, that, that being said, when you talk about 7% of the population having PTSD in their lifetimes, now we're talking about tens of millions of people compared to... <laughs> You know, three or three hundred or four hundred thousand of today's are training veterans who have PTSD. So I just think it's important that for our our viewers and our, our listeners to understand. As you said, they probably know someone with PTSD. They're just not aware of that. They're already used to working uh, and interacting with folks with PTSD and maybe traumatic brain injury as well, which also happens at a far greater rate in the private sector than in the military. Exactly, uh, both those. Are, are very true, and, and people just are not aware. They fear combat veterans, uh, but they don't fear the, the man or woman next to them who was sexually abused or assaulted or are part of a robbery and their lives were threatened, and they have PTSD as well. One, one other thing I want to get back to, Justin, that I'm sure you'll recognize and all the veterans out there will recognize and military members. Now, I evaluated a cook, a cook, and yeah. this said, Doc, I didn't even wear a weapon. Hell, I wasn't in any combat uh, situations. I was a cook over in the cook tent. But you know that IED that came over the wall and blew up not more than 30 feet from me, didn't know I was a cook. (laughs) Nevertheless. And so even in those who have never been in a combat, direct combat situation, in combat, there are things that happen that, that can trigger PTSD other than just hand to hand or direct combat. Yeah, yes. that, that, that's a good point. When I talk about when I talk to audiences about PTSD, I say I know I have it. I don't know it was from getting shot. I don't know it was from watching a memorial service uh, for six Marines who I'll never see again. I don't know it was from being exposed to an IED that almost killed a, a few of us. It could be anything over there because there's just so much going on at all times. I, I had I had a veteran Justin who who was there during Desert Storm. And uh, uh, he told me during the Gulf War, you know, when, when uh, the enemy capture folks, they would behead them, cut their heads off, and then drag them through town so all of the, uh, all of the people in the town could see what happened if you went to the other side. Harry, I'm sorry to stop you. We're going to break right now. We'll be right back. You're listening to Military Network Radio. We're Military Network Radio, and we'll be right back after these short messages. If you're ready for a big change in your work, your career, your happiness, your life, it's time for the Million Dollar Mindset with Marla Tabaka. Monday afternoons at 2, 1 central on Toginet.com. 
Marla believes that with the right mindset, anything is possible. Join us as successful life coach Marla Tabaka inspires you and her clients to explore, discover, and live your dreams by developing what she calls the million-dollar mindset. Marla will inspire you to take action on your dreams and reveal secrets to success that will help you realize your own unique power. Tune into the million-dollar mindset for heartwarming stories with Marla Tabaka. Learn tips and tricks to building a successful business and unlock the secrets to creating a happier, more balanced life through abundant thinking and attraction power. For more information on the Million Dollar Mindset, go to our website, MarlaTabaka.com. That's M-A-R-L-A-T-A-B-A-K-A.com. It's the Million Dollar Mindset with Marla Tabaka. Monday afternoons at 2, 1 p.m. Central on Toginet.com. Okay, we will. We're going to teach you how to tell your money where to go. It's Intelligent Investing with Pam Otten on Toginet. Learn how to be a savvy investor from someone who has your best interest at heart. Pam Otten is a financial advisor who loves to help successful business owners and entrepreneurs understand the mysteries of the investment world. And she's not afraid to share that knowledge. Pam is an unashamed Christian and qualified kingdom advisor, which means she's trained and committed to integrating biblical principles into her financial advice. Pam believes investing isn't rocket science. This is the financial advisor who's in your corner and truly understands and cares about you and helping you achieve your goals. Securities and advisory services are offered through LPL Financial, member FINRA, SIPC. It's Intelligent Investing with Pam Otten on Toginet. Welcome back to Military Network Radio. Serving the military, their families, and those who care about them. Together, we make a difference. Welcome back. You're listening to Military Network Radio. I'm Linda Crater with co-host Justin Constantine and our special guest, Dr. Harry Croft. Justin, I believe you and Harry had been discussing during the break some of these topics, and you had a specific question for Harry. I, I do, Harry. I want to talk to you about some more stuff in the workplace, so I just want to give you a chance to finish up the thought you had at the break about the uh, Gulf War. Yeah, so, so at the beginning of the war, the enemy if they captured somebody, would behead them, drag them through town so all the townspeople could see it. And I had one soldier who said, you know, I I kept thinking about that every day. And that was my big fear, that I would get captured and beheaded and dragged through town. Now, this guy was never in combat. He was uh, in some sort of other uh, field. But but he worried every day. Did he have PTSD? You bet he did. Okay. Yeah, I understand. I think a lot of our veteran uh, listeners can certainly understand to that. I can relate to being hypervigilant, nightmares, flashbacks, everything you described. And I think it's a common it's a common issue for those coming back from a, a, a war zone, wherever that may be. So I like to switch gears and get back into the work into the workplace. We talked about having your back to the door, really not having it to the door. And so that's an accommodation. And what are what are um, I think one misperception out there by employers is that accommodations for folks with disabilities and or PTSD might be pretty expensive. What is the reality of that situation and what are some simple accommodations that can be made? So let's talk about the accommodations in view of the symptoms of PTSD. So, so remember the first cluster of symptoms is unwanted recall. So sometimes 
that can be misinterpreted. So when a veteran with PTSD seems to kind of zone out for a, a little bit, what may be happening in their head is they're having a flashback. Yeah. They usually don't last very long. Mm -hmm. They usually go away. And as long as an employer and fellow employees understand, that's okay. I also know that I've seen veterans. Uh, I, I use in my talk a video clip from First Lieutenant Lee Alley, who wrote a wonderful book called Back from War. Uh, Lee got the Distinguished Service Cross for his, his bravery and heroism in Vietnam. And, and Lee tells about a nightmare in such a way that most people have never thought about. All of us have bad dreams, right, from time to time. Well, that's a bad dream. But a nightmare, as I bet you you can tell us, Justin, is very different. Mm -hmm. and, and, and what Lee says is he's all wet. The, the, the battle starts. He's all wet. And, and and his radio man on one shot one side has been shot through the chest and the other radio man has been shot through the head and he's got blood and he's all wet and 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 just as suddenly as it started it ends and he says because that wasn't in vietnam that was in the privacy of my own bedroom and these nightmares make people wake up sweating and yeah. uh, heart racing, and and often being unable to go back to sleep. So what does that do in the workplace? People sometimes with PTSD come in late, or then they don't function as well first thing in the morning. The accommodation that can be made is, if possible, you change the work hours a little bit. Instead of coming in at 8, they come in at 9, and they work till 6. And that takes care of it. Or if you know they don't function quite as well in the morning as they do later in the day, uh, it, it might be possible to, uh, to give assignments later in the day that, that uh, are more thought intensive. Avoidance. Uh, and that sometimes involves not wanting to talk about. And fellow employees may not be meaning to, to be problematic, but are just curious. So so you were over in Iraq, right? Well, what was it like over there? Did you kill anybody? Yeah. And, and those kind of questions, which maybe aren't meant to be a problem, become a problem because of the avoidance. And the veteran either doesn't answer or gets upset. The, the negative thoughts can be distancing. So the veteran is a great worker, but uh, doesn't want to go to the social events, doesn't want to go to the get-togethers, doesn't want to go out at night for a few drinks, so whatever. And, and that can be accommodated by educating others. And, and the symptoms of arousal and stuff we talked about, sometimes just a little break from work. Well, Harry, what, what can, uh, thank you, what can, what can a, a good company, I know right now there's a lot of companies are embracing veterans, they understand the value we bring to the workplace, there's a lot of efforts for veteran hiring initiatives, what are a couple of steps that companies can take to have a more veteran and military friendly environment to include some of the things you just mentioned? Well, I, 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 
this would is going to be you encourage mentors and and like an intensive uh, onboarding process, things along those lines. Some of this is going to be self-serving because that's what I talk to businesses about. But you're exactly right. Number one, if you're going to hire veterans, do it right so that you give them the best chance to succeed. Mm -hmm. So that might involve uh, uh, getting together a well-organized and well-thought-out plan that comes from the top down. Why is that important? Because if the leader, the CEO, the president is on board, if, if there do need to be accommodations or changes made, the, the, the CEO is already on board. You don't have to get them there. So, so providing a well-thought-out plan that might involve several things. Number one is education to remove the stigma so people aren't afraid when they finally find out the guy sitting next to them has PTSD teach them the facts, teach them the symptoms, teach them how it shows up in the workplace, and that it doesn't show up with somebody generally bringing in a weapon and shooting innocent people. That doesn't, that's so rare that it makes the headlines of the news, and that's when the media calls me. It's a rare phenomenon, but you would suspect from the headlines that that happens all the time. Just educating that doesn't happen. I think, I think you're right. Education is critical. I, I've spoken a number of times to corporate audiences uh, about similar topics, and many times they say, wow, this is the first time we've talked to a wounded warrior or someone who knows about PTSD and has the capability to ask questions and figure it out because, unfortunately, a lot of what the American public knows about PTSD is from American Sniper or the media, the salacious headlines, or other other venues that really just focus on the acts of one individual and paints a broad brush and makes it seem as if hundreds of thousands of us have those exact same symptoms and, and actions. You, you're, you're right on target, man. I mean, you, you know, people don't know. <laughs> I, this, this is a story. I mean, this, this put me back on my heels. I'm in a, in a large metropolitan center, one of the biggest in the country, a, an HR director from a huge company waits in line. You know, after you sign the books, they wait in line and want to ask individual questions. And she waited in line till I was finished. And she says, <laughs> and she says, so, so look at doc, I'd like to hire these vets, uh, you know, with PTSD, but I'll be honest, I'm really worried. Will the other employees catch it? Oh God! Oh no! Back and I and I and I, I shouldn't have done it, but I looked at her and I said, "Well, just keep them off the toilet seats, and they probably won't." Right. Oh, Harry! That seemed right by her, but but it showed me how much misconception there is. And Justin, you're exactly right. When I speak, the thing that that uh, I mean, these employers, uh, whether they're HR or management people. Uh, it can't wait to ask questions because nobody's ever explained it to them. Right. And the vision, right. the misconceptions get in the way. 
I think uh, some concerns that employers have or maybe HR managers have is that if you hire someone with disabilities, and again, including PTSD and that, that they will be impossible to fire if they don't do a good job or things don't work out. But that clearly is not the case, right, Harry? No, it's not the case. I mean, different states have different rules, and it matters whether it's a huge company or a small company. Huge companies have different rules. But in general, no, that that doesn't happen, uh, that, that you can't uh, – get rid of somebody who's just not fitting in. But but you mentioned some things that are important. Veterans are used to working in teams. Mm -hmm. So having a mentorship program. So if a veteran gets a little upset about something, the meeting that's called for 2 o'clock starts not at 2. The vet gets there at 10 minutes till 2. That's what he's always done. But the, the meeting starts 2.15, 2.20, 2.30-ish. It doesn't seem to matter to the other employees, but the the vet is upset. Well, wouldn't it be cool if they had a support system or a mentor they could go to and say, this just irked me more than you know, and the mentor can say, I get it, because that's part of the culture you came from, but here, not so much. It's not that big a deal, and you got to learn to live with it. And and that's... So I was going to say that mentor could be someone who's uh, another employee who was has a military background or not. It doesn't have to be that way. Uh, you know, uh, I've heard different corporations do it different ways. And, I, and in fact, I heard about one corporation that has every, every veteran has a mentor who who is a, a military, a former military member, and someone who's not. So they get the best of both worlds there. So uh, do you think do you think a marriage one way or the other? No, I don't. But, but I think also. With the availability of the World Wide Web now, veterans can have a support system of other military members if that's what they need, even if they're not in their direct work. And they could could have it in their office with an employee resource group specifically designed for veterans, right? Bingo. Those are called affinity groups and and, uh, of other veterans or other people that understand. Yeah, there's a lot that a good company can do in, in the uh, arena of onboarding veterans to make sure that they come on because there is a big cultural change between the private sector and what they experience in the military. So I, I believe that a company puts their time in on the front end, um, and then and then they onboard our veterans in the right way. We're going to we're going to have success in those companies because the veterans are going to stay there long term. You know, we are talking about PTSD in the workplace today. You're listening to Military Network Radio, and we will be right back. We're Military Network Radio, and we'll be right back after these short messages. In today's business world, a helping hand or idea that doesn't come with an invoice is a treasured find. And if that happens to you, then you need to pay it forward to keep other entrepreneurs from making mistakes or getting a raw deal. It's called Paying It Forward with Josephine Girasi. Wednesday mornings at 10, 9 a.m. Central, Josephine is going to have the guests describe their accomplishments, the lessons they've learned, both good and bad, and then sharing those pieces of knowledge as we create a movement of Paying It Forward. For more information about Josephine, her business, and background, you can go to MyMomKnowsBest.com. 
Josephine Girasi has always been a problem solver. She saw this need and has turned it into a movement. It's paying it forward with tips, tools, and advice, and hard lessons learned. These pieces of knowledge can make a huge difference for you, your business, and others. So join us for Paying It Forward with Josephine Girasi. Wednesday mornings at 10 a.m., 9 a.m. Central on Doginet.com. LinkedIn. It's a great tool and a great way to do business in today's social media-driven world. And Carol McManus is the LinkedIn lady with the LinkedIn Lady Show. Tuesday and Wednesday afternoons at 4 p.m. Eastern on AllBusinessRadioNetwork.com. The LinkedIn Lady Show is designed to inform, inspire, and educate businesses. Every social media site has a specific demographic, personality, and purpose. And the LinkedIn lady will interview a variety of guests, such as business owners who can showcase their business and talk about how they use social media, such as Facebook, Twitter, YouTube, Google+, Pinterest, and of course, LinkedIn. For more on Carol and the show, check out her website, LinkedInLady.com. As trends change and new applications become available, the LinkedIn Lady Show will bring that information to you in an easy-to-use, fun, and engaging way. Every Tuesday and Wednesday afternoons at 4 p.m. Eastern, it's the LinkedIn Lady Show with Carol McManus on AllBusinessRadioNetwork.com. Welcome back to Military Network Radio, serving the military, their families, and those who care about them. Together, we make a difference. Welcome back. You're listening to Military Network Radio. I'm Linda Crater with co-host Justin Constantine and our guest, Dr. Harry Croft. Harry, we've talked about some of the accommodations, and now let's talk about how we can work to make things work more smoothly, increase the communication gaps, uh, not increase, pardon me, decrease the communication gaps between employers and employees, and how to set people up for success in the workplace. And and that latter thing is so important, Linda, Mm -hmm. because uh, if not, what often happens is the, the veteran employee gets out of the military and goes through a number of jobs. The veterans I've seen go through an average of about six jobs in the first 10 years after they get. So getting the job is just one part of it. The next part is helping a veteran succeed in a job. And that's important, A, for the veteran, for their well-being and their self-esteem, but it's also important for the whole process. Because my theory is, if, if if an employer has bad experiences, what they're likely to say the next time is, mm-hmm. you know, we tried that hire the veteran thing, and frankly, it just didn't work out so well. They may or may not say that. They right. just hire more vets. So I think it's important. And one thing that gets in the way and is often confused, and, and I think Justin will can, can understand and perhaps add something to this, is the difference between military culture and civilian culture. I mentioned the time deal. The other thing that bugs a lot of the vets I I see, and and that's important because uh, uh, they tell me these stories. I say, what bugs you in the workplace? Well, I'll tell you. The time thing is number one. Number two is the rule book says you do step one, then two, then three, then four, and five. So in our workplace, you know how they do it? One, then seven, then maybe two, then maybe 12. They don't follow the damn rules. And that bugs the veteran. And and number 
Number three is nobody can seem to make a decision in, in our workplace. I <laughs> asked my boss, what the heck are we going to do about this? Right. And the boss says, well, let me give that some thought and I'll get back to you. And they rarely do. Right. So these are all things that in a, in a military situation are critically important. The time the mission's supposed to start is critically important for the mission to succeed. Following the rules can keep people from getting wounded or killed. And making good decisions quickly can, in fact, uh, keep the mission on track. And so a veteran's used to that. So in the civilian workplace, when that's not done, it may irk the veteran. And they look irked. And if they don't have a mentor or an affinity group or an understanding boss, that may be misinterpreted as PTSD. See, that guy got upset. That's PTSD when in Ugh. fact it may not be, and it may give PTSD a bad name. Well, Harry, for those who do have um, PTSD, let's shift gears a little bit and talk about what are some, some good treatment programs that you recommend. So let me tell you, number one, it is important if you suffer from PTSD and to find out, you can go to the VA website, the PTSD Center website. Uh, you can go to our website, drcroft, drcroft.com. Uh, there are a lot of places. If you suffer from PTSD, number one, get help. The assumption that, well, just give it some time and it'll go away is unfortunately not true. How do we know that? I've evaluated over 3,500 vets from Vietnam. Vietnam ended for most of these guys and gals uh, close to 40 years ago. If time is going to heal something, you figure four decades ought to be enough. But time alone yeah. is not healing. Now, what also, what what is not the sole treatment are medications. And a lot of vets, when they finally come for treatment, they hold their hand out and they say, okay, I'll take the medicine. Right. It's to disappoint you, but the medicine, the medicine for PTSD hasn't been invented yet. Uh, it's like if, if you go to the doctor because you got pneumonia and the doctor says, you got pneumonia, dude. And you say, well, what do we do about it? And the doc says, well... I'm going to give you cough medicine for your cough, and I'm going to give you Tylenol for your fever, and I'm going to give you painkillers because your chest is hurting you so much, and I'm going to even give you sleeping medicine so you sleep better, and I'm going to give you anti-anxiety and antidepressants for that. Uh, those are symptomatic, and the person with pneumonia may say, but don't I need an antibiotic? Well, the reality is. Yeah, you're not addressing the problem. Right. So, so Harry, so what, so what, what do you recommend? What, so, if, I'm, if I'm coming to you as a young veteran or, or an older veteran, and I, and I think I may have PTSD, what should I do? So what you need to do is get involved, Justin, in, in what's called talking therapy, psychotherapy. And, and the kind that's been shown to be most effective is called CBT, Cognitive Behavioral Therapy. And there are two subtypes of CBT. One is called prolonged exposure, and the other is called cognitive processing. I, I won't go into all the details, 
But I can tell you that these are generally 12 or more sessions, and they require that you have a really good feeling, a good rapport with your therapist. Because if you don't trust your therapist or don't feel like they understand what's going on, chances are you're not going to open up. And remember, one of the symptoms, Justin, of PTSD is avoidance. So sure. in these right. kind of therapies, you're asked to do exactly the thing you've been avoiding for all these years. And that takes a lot of trust and, and a lot of good feeling about the therapist. But with these therapies, people can get better. Harry, yeah. I, I've got to ask in here, where does the family fit in in terms of support? Because I know they matter. Uh, absolutely. And oftentimes, the family is left out of the therapy or the therapy offered to the therapy, like uh, marriage counseling. Marriage counseling is doomed to failure unless the PTSD caused symptoms are dealt with. You know, so uh, I think it's important that that the family is involved at first. They need to be involved with education because they got to understand what's going on. That that detachment doesn't mean that the veteran doesn't love their families or care about their families. The fact that grandpa doesn't want to go with the granddaughter to Veterans Day at school to tell their stories doesn't mean they don't love the granddaughter or they don't want to go to the games. That may mean the crowds bug them. And the avoidance makes them not want to talk about it. But if families don't understand that, then, then they're going to misinterpret it. That the anger and irritability and agitation that comes with PTSD is over stupid stuff. Uh, you know, my wife asked too many questions, you know. So, I, I, and I don't like that. And I get angry at that. Well, the wife or the spouse, the husband misinterprets it. And the next thing you know, the marriage is over. So education of the family, maybe therapy for the family member. And then when the time is appropriate, therapy for the vet and family. Mm -hmm. Harry, I, I noticed when I went to my counseling, which was for about a year and a half with a psychologist, that, um, you know, I really enjoyed, of course, my wife was very supportive and encouraging to do to do that. But I enjoyed going to someone else, an objective professional who had worked with other warriors, who had studied this material, who knew what I was talking about, knew the military acronyms, knew the military retirement process and all that. And I could talk to him, get my feelings out there, even though it was difficult sometimes. But then I left his office and I went home and back on with my life with my life. And I think that was an important piece of it, having a subjective professional, someone like you, to talk to, um, not necessarily my wife or family member, because then those issues, you get, you know, an hour later, maybe it comes back up again, or you pick up on the conversation. But I knew every other week for an hour, I went there, discussed it, and, and, and left it there. And then I, during the week, I would think about it because he gave me homework to do and I had questions. Have you found a similar response from some of the other veterans you talk with? Absolutely. And, and if you can find a therapist that really understands, perhaps that has been there, done that, it may make it easier. But don't assume 
that, that if they haven't been in combat, they can't understand any more than a, a cancer therapist, a cancer doctor who's never had cancer can understand cancer and its treatment. And the other thing, when it comes to family, what the veterans I see tell me is they wouldn't understand. I can't burden them with this stuff. I, I can't talk to them about it. And educating the family about that can be helpful. So the therapy is better done by a professional therapist. And by the way, in a business setting, it, one of the accommodations that can be made is to give the veteran time off to do the therapy. And now with telemedicine, it, it can be done more easily and more effectively, and then have them make up the time at, a, at another period during the day. Yeah, that's the beauty of the flex schedules is you can allow that. As long as the veteran knows that and goes in and talks to the right person and identifies they want that, that um, accommodation, any company is going to, I think, they're obligated to try to make that happen. Uh, and you're right And you're right about the um, bringing in the family when they're ready. I think a lot of veterans think that it's too heavy, but I believe that our families and our, and our wives and caregivers, our husbands, whoever it is, are stronger than we think we are. Mm -hmm. And they want to be part of the solution. And they're already dealing with a lot of our issues, whether <laughs> we know it or not. So if, if a veteran can wrap in the family, that's a great solution, I think. And, and just very quickly, we've taken an hour now talking about it, and we've just scratched the surface, Justin. Exactly. And, uh, and, and so that's why education over a longer period of time is really helpful to the veteran and to the business. You know, thank you, Harry, for joining us today. And I love the dialogue between you and Justin. I so appreciate that you are so candid about this, both of you. So thank you so much for educating our audience. You can find our broadcast at militarynetworkradio.com or 24-7 in iTunes podcasts under Military Network Radio. Join us live on Tuesdays at 10 a.m. Eastern. And we are so glad you joined us today. Have a wonderful week, and we wish you well. Thank you for tuning in today to Military Network Radio. You can find our show at our website, www.toginet.com forward slash Military Network Radio. Also, www.militarynetworkradio.com. And in iTunes under Military Network Radio. Join us next week when we bring you another program to enhance 